starting a new sermon series that's really a, it's part of a nationwide evangelistic mobilization movement from the Southern Baptist Convention that is mobilizing thousands and thousands of churches around the nation to really focus on, if you can, if we all just focused on one person, we prayed for that person, this is a person that does not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, and we pray for them, and we, we seek opportunities to invite them and ultimately share the gospel with them, man, can you imagine the impact of every single church in America and every person in that church did that? And so this is one of the reasons I, I love being part of the, the Southern Baptist Convention is they can mobilize thousands and thousands of churches to do things like this at one time. And so I love being part of something like this. And so just to, as a forewarning at the end of the sermon, I'm going to ask you, you should have, when you came in, received a, a bookmark that has a card attached to it that you'll be able to rip off. And I want you to, you're going to write down a name of your one. And, and maybe you're sitting there thinking, man, I've got way more than one. And so you can put more than one person down on that card. There's no, we're not limiting you to just one, but at least one person that you're going to commit to over the next several days and several months, I hope, praying for that person and looking for ways and opportunities to invite that person and ultimately share the gospel with that person. And so be thinking and praying even as you're listening to the sermon today. And then at the end, what we're going to do is we're going to write those names down and you're going to actually bring the, the name forward and put it in this box. And myself and Perry are going to be praying for your person also alongside of you. And so be thinking of that. Now, it's not hard, and you heard some of the statistics there in the, in the video, it's not hard to make a case for the need for us to share the gospel, especially here in Bullock County. Did you know that Bullock County is the 10th largest county in the, in the state of Kentucky? There are 78,702 people, and this is, these statistics are a little bit dated. I think 2012 these came out. We won't get new statistics like this until the new census comes out uh, next year. But So the, the numbers are probably elevated from what I'm about to tell you. So we're the 10th largest county, one of the fastest growing counties in the state. But in our county, only 33.2% of the county considers themselves adherents of any religion. Okay, so th- th- there's only 33.2% of the people in our county that connect themselves with any religion. And so that's, uh, it, well, comparatively speaking, 51.6 is the average for the state. And so we're well below the average here in Bullock County. Uh, and it gets worse, of the 78,702 people, only 23.3% of them are actually members of any kind of church, any kind of church. 23.3. So there are 60,000, over, just over 60,000 people in Bullock County that are not members of any church right now. And of the 78,702 people that live in Bullock County, only 9.4% of them on any given Sunday are actually attending a worship gathering. Only 9.4. That's the 10th worst in the state of all the counties in the state. That means that right now there are approximately 71,000 people in our county alone that are not gathering to worship on a Sunday morning. Bullock County ranks third, according to the KBC, in the need for more church plants to be started. 
And so what we're doing here at Mercy Hill is very much needed. And I think as a church, we're at a point we need to really start praying and thinking strategically about how we can get another church started and planted. And we should really be praying about that and, and even in our next budget, be thinking forward about how we can start planning for the future for that to happen. Now, even though it's not hard to make a case that the need is great, we know that the need is great, we still struggle to share the gospel. So knowing the need is not enough to motivate us. I don't think I've ever talked to a Christian that says, you know what, I've shared the gospel too much this week. <sighs> I've never met that. Most Christians I talk to, in fact, myself included, are, are typically just overrun with guilt because they're not sharing the gospel enough. And we want to be passionate. We want to be fearless when it comes to sharing our faith, but we find it really difficult. It's, it's intimidating. It's hard. And so over the next five weeks... We're going to spend this sermon series as we're thinking about who's your one. We're going to be talking about five attributes of someone who is passionate about sharing the gospel. And so these are five attributes of an evangelist. And so today we're going to be talking about joy. Next week we're going to talk about compassion and then hope. And then we're going to spend a week talking about having a holy unrest and what that means and then... Finally, the fifth Sunday, we'll be talking about courage. And my hope is that as we study these characteristics and these attributes and we learn how to foster them in our, our own hearts, that this will cause us to be more motivated to share the gospel and less fearful. And so let's pray that God would help us to do that. Father, again, I, I pray and I plead that your spirit would invade our hearts because I recognize that no strategy, no plan will ever be enough to change our hearts. We desperately need you to fill us with joy and compassion and hope and a holy unrest and courage so that we would be a people that go and share that joy and share that hope with others so that you would be glorified. And so, Father, I pray as we open up your word today, you would open up the eyes of our hearts to see and to savor your glory, that we would see Christ and we would be amazed, that we would fall deeply in love and that we would be filled with a joy that, is, that, that can't be explained, no matter what our circumstances are, that we would find a joy that overflows in our speech and in our actions and how we care for our, both our church family and our community. We fall short. We often find our joy in other things, Lord. Help, to, help us to find our greatest joy in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John, and if you're wondering where that is, you can go to Revelations, take a left. So go to the end of your Bible, take a left. Eventually, you're going to hit 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're at the very beginning of 1 John. 1 John, we're going to take a look at verses 1 through 4. Let me give you a little bit of the context of what's going on here in this book. So John is writing this letter 
to a group of churches that have been influenced by some Gnostic ideas. And, and the Gnostics, they did not believe in the incarnation. They did not. They, they believed that everything physical was evil and everything spiritual was good. And so the idea of God becoming a man was incomprehensible in their mind. They, God would never stoop to that level. And so they, they did not believe in the incarnation. And so these Gnostic beliefs are starting to infiltrate the church. And so John writes this letter, and you're going to notice how often and over and over he says, look, I saw him. I touched him. I heard him. He really did come. God became flesh. And so let's walk through this passage together. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll, we'll take some time and, and walk through it verse by verse. Starting in verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We've seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that... You too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So he says, he starts off the letter, I love this, he says, that which was from the beginning. It's very similar to how he started off his gospel. If you go to the gospel of John in the very, the very first few verses, he starts off, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then you skip down to verse 14, and he, you, you hear, okay, what is this Word? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so John, at the very beginning of his letter, he wants to make it very clear that he's talking about Jesus. That was, which was from the beginning, the God-man who is from the beginning. Jesus said to his disciples, before Abraham was, I am. And so he was either using really bad grammar there, or he was trying to say something significant. Before Abraham ever was, before thousands of years before Abraham ever was, I am, which was, by the way, the same name that God gave Moses. When Moses says, God, what do I call you? God says, I am who I am, Yahweh, right? So Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. In Revelation, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There are huge, huge blessings. Don't just glance over this. There are huge blessings in meditating on the eternality of Jesus. The fact that he has no beginning, he has no end. He will always be. He has always been. And this means that all of his attributes are also eternal. His love for you never changes. The faithfulness that he has shown you in the past is still here today and it will be there tomorrow. His attributes never change. He is eternal. John goes on. That which was from the beginning, 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, the word of life, I think it would have been helpful for them to capitalize the word of life as it is obvious, and actually other translations do that. It's obvious if you look at the context that John is referring here to Jesus. He's the word of life. Look at verse 2. The life, Jesus, was made manifest. In other words, he appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And notice how many times he repeats himself to emphasize that, look, I'm telling you the truth. I saw him. I saw him. I saw him. Okay, he really did come. God came in the flesh. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you. So that. Now, whenever I see those words, so that, in the scriptures, my, my ears kind of perk up because I know that whatever comes next right after that is really significant because it explains the why. He's about to explain, okay, this is why we've been proclaiming. This is why we've been testifying. We've been, we've been testifying these things to you. We've been testifying about Jesus to you, what we've seen to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, when John talks about fellowship here, he's not talking about a potluck, okay? He's not saying, I'm, we're sharing Jesus Christ so you can come and eat fried chicken with us, all right? He's not saying that. Fellowship here is actually family language, right? We've been talking about family a lot. It's family language. Is it the, word, the Greek word, maybe you've heard of it before, it's koinonia, Koinonia, uh, it's used numerous times in the New Testament. The first time it's used is back in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. And so at the birth of the church, they're, they're fellowshipping, they're koinonia. It's in the same breath that, that he says they had everything in common. Maybe the best way to describe koinonia is if you took all of the one another passages from the New Testament, and you were going to summarize them in one word, it'd be koinonia. That's fellowship. And so one motivation that John had to share Christ with others was his desire to fellowship, to koinonia with them, and that they would experience ultimately fellowship with God. But there's another motivation. Look at verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. They're writing these things so that their joy could be complete because that's the nature of joy. Joy is not complete until it's shared. It it can't be contained. True joy cannot be contained. Joy always bursts outward. In fact, this is how C.S. Lewis put it. He says, all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. That's how God wired us. That we naturally, we can't help but to praise the things that bring us joy. In fact, joy is stunted when it can't be expressed joyfully with celebration with others. Joy is stunted when we can't spread it. Have you ever... Well, it's like Dave hearing a, a really good dad joke and have nobody to, nobody to share it with, right? <sighs> have you ever had that happen? 
No, never. <laughs> or maybe it's like you see a beautiful rainbow or a, a sunset, but there's nobody there to share it with. You can't really capture it with a, with a camera. It just doesn't, it's just not the same. Or if you're a sports fan, it's, uh, I experience this every single year. Have you ever been in a, in a, you're watching a game with a bunch of people and you're the only true fan and your team like comes back from a, it's like a miraculous comeback and you're like, yeah, nobody else cares. Every single year, my, our college friends get together for the Michigan-Ohio State game, okay? So we went to college in Ohio. All my friends are Ohio State fans. They, they, they give it to me all the time. In fact, they just sent me a, yesterday, I got a message in the, they're all gonna buy these t-shirts this year that says that uh, I keep, what does it say? I keep typing in Biggest Loser into Google, but it just, or into YouTube, but it just keeps showing me videos of Michigan football. And so they're all getting shirts for me for that. But on those days, like, and it doesn't happen very often that Michigan actually beats Ohio State's, Ohio State, but when, when, when the Michigan actually beats Ohio State and I'm the only Michigan fan there, it's not all that cool because everybody else is down and it's boring. <laughs> I've tried to convert to be an Ohio State fan. I just, my heart won't do it. But the, John is writing this letter to complete his joy. You get my point. Joy is only ever completed when it's shared. I remember a, a wise professor when I was in seminary says, look, you want to grow your church? You don't need a bunch of fancy programs or strategies. You just need a group of believers that are excited about Jesus because we naturally share what we're excited about. And so throughout Scripture, when God calls us to praise him, he's not being an egomaniac there, okay? In fact, I, I was talking uh, to somebody a few weeks ago that was really struggling with their faith. And one of their, one of their questions was, okay, why, does God, why does it seem like in Scripture that God is just all about his own glory? Doesn't that seem like selfish? And it's true that, that throughout Scripture, you can read about God's passion for his own glory. Throughout the Psalms, we're commanded, praise God, okay? Exalt his name. Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created, for my glory. We're created in his image for his glory. You go to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10. Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And so yes, God has a passion for his glory, but that doesn't make him an egomaniac. His desire for you to praise him comes from his desire for you, for your joy to be complete. And God knows that the greatest joy in all of the universe that he could ever give you is himself. That is, the great, that is what is going to give you the greatest joy. And so that joy is made complete when you praise him. So all the commands to praise God in the Psalms, that's not God being selfish. That's the natural result of somebody's heart who is totally captivated by God and finds their greatest joy in God, and so they, they want to praise him, and they want others to praise. David's heart was fully captivated, captivated by God, and so he was simply doing what comes natural. He's calling others to join him in his joy, and so you read things like this from David, Psalm 96, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name, Bring an offering and come to the courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations the Lord reigns. God 
wants your heart to be joyful. He wants your heart to be fully captivated by the greatest gift in all the universe, which is himself. And then that, that joy would be completed as you, as you praise him and you tell other people about him. This is what I want you to see this morning. More than anything is that evangelism is really a desire to share our joy in Christ with others. Evangelism is the desire to share our joy in Christ with other, others. But you can't share what, what you don't have. You can't share what you don't have. Much of the Christian life, in fact, is a, is a war, is a battle for joy in your heart, a joy in Christ rather than a joy in things of this world. In fact, growing and maturing as a Christian really just defined, in my mind at least, as you growing in your joy for Christ and not things of this world. You're letting go of your joy of things in this world and you're growing in your joy of Christ. That's maturing as a Christian. That's our goal in the Christian life, to, to mature, to be more like Christ and be infatuated with Him. And so the more you see Christ as the source of your greatest joy, the bigger impact you're going to have for Christ. C.S. Lewis, again, wisely points out that our problem is not that we desire happiness too much. It's that we're far too easily pleased. He says, I love this quote, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by the offering of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased." Often we are satisfied with the scraps off the floor when we could be feasting at the table with God. When we are satisfied with the gifts of God, often we're satisfied with, and they're good things, they're, they're gifts from God. They're, uh, sometimes they're our job that helps provide for us. Sometimes it's, we're consumed by our kids and our, our family or maybe it's money or, or other things that are meant to be helpful and meant to be gifts. They're gifts of God, but we're, we get so caught up in the gifts of God, we, we forget about God. It, it's kind of like a, a few years ago, we took a, a vacation to Colorado, and we drove out to Colorado. We had a, a pop-up tent that we were dragging behind us. It's a long drive. We had four kids at the time, and uh, so you can imagine going 20-plus hours in a car with, with four kids and a camper behind you. It's long. It's boring, and especially going through Kansas. There's like nothing going through Kansas. And so, like, towards the end, and we're, like, close to 20 hours into the drive at this point. Everybody else is, like, sleeping except for Cam. She can't sleep because in the passenger seat. She can never sleep in the passenger seat. But so it's me and her, and I'm just trying to do mind tricks to keep myself awake at this point. And so what I did, though, is I just kept picturing the mountains. 
And because I could, I've been to Colorado once before that, and I could remember what they looked like. And I, I mean, I was just looking forward so much to seeing the mountains. And so I can remember looking up at, at some point and way off in the distance, and you could kind of, they were kind of fuzzy because they were through the haze of the horizon. You could see the peaks of the mountains like rise up. And I remember seeing that, and I, I literally shouted for joy when I saw them because it's like, ah, finally, I can see the mountains. In fact, I shouted so loud, I woke everybody else up, and I scared Cameron. But can you imagine if at that point I just said, you know what, I'm good now. And we just turned around and went another 20 hours back. That's what it's like when we settle for the gifts of God and not the giver. I know that I want desperately for my heart to be saturated with the glory of God. I don't want to be, I don't want to settle for seeing God's glory from a distance. I want to know God. I want, to, I want my heart to cry out like David in the Psalms. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And so we need to wrestle with the question, how do we make Jesus the source of our greatest joy? That should be something we wrestle with every day of our lives. And it starts with koinonia. It starts with fellowship with God, spending time alone with God daily, soaking up his word with the goal, not just to read the word, but to find God's glory in it, to see Christ in it. That's why cross-training this morning, I loved the, the study that we did in cross-training this morning because it was all about how do we see Christ in the Old Testament and what are the pathways to, that we get from the Old Testament to Christ and to see how the, the Bible's one big story. And I love studying that kind of stuff because the more you see Christ in the Old Testament, the, the, the more glory you see. The connections just blow your mind. But you need to spend time alone with God, fellowshipping with Him, praying, spending long time. In fact, the longest chapter in the Bible Psalm 119, what is it? It's David over and over expressing the joy he finds in the Word of God. I mean, I would start there. If you're, if you're looking to foster a heart that finds its joy in God, start by fostering your joy in His Word. Every time you pray, you should pray. Psalm 119, 18. Every time you read the Word, you should, you should pray this. David says, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. So number one, it starts with fellowship with God. Number two, if we're going to find Jesus as our greatest joy, we need to constantly preach the gospel to ourselves. Uh, Paul Tripp says it really well. He says, no one is more influential in your life than you. Why? Because nobody talks to you more than you, you talk to yourself. He says the battleground because of that is meditation. Okay, now I'm not talking about like Eastern meditation where you try to empty your mind. Biblical meditation is you are filling your mind with the things of God, with God's word. And so he says the battleground is meditation. 
What is it that captures your mind when it's idle? Where do your idle thoughts take you? What fear or frustration is filling your spare moments? And so the question is, will you just listen to yourself or will you begin to talk to yourself? Instead of letting your concerns shape you, transform your concerns by preaching the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. It's more than simply reciting information from the Bible, okay? Paul Tripp says it this way. He says, look, every single day you should make it your practice to one, gaze on the beauty of Christ. Not just glance over it, but gaze. That means look intently, long, at long period of time and just look at the glory of Christ in his word. Gaze on the beauty of Christ. Number two, Remember who you are as a child of God. Every single day, there's a, there's a battle for believing who you are, what your identity is. And so every single day, you should make it your practice to remember who you are as a child of God. And number three, make it a practice to rest in His power and His provision. Be reminded of His faithfulness to you, that His he promises to provide everything that you, that you need. And then finally, make it a practice to act in reliance upon him. That's what it means to preach the gospel to yourself. And so, number three then, and finally, you complete your joy by inviting others to join in with you, to join your joy. I love how the apostle Every once in a while in his letters, he just kind of breaks into worship and praise. Sometimes it just seems like almost out of nowhere, he goes into doxology. Uh, he does that in Romans fifteen thirteen, and he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The NIV translates that, that you would overflow with hope, that you would be so filled with joy, it would pour out of you. I'll, I want to pray, and then uh, we're going to spend a few minutes together uh, just in silent prayer and asking God to, to move in our hearts, to fill us with joy, and to really Show us who he wants us to invest in in prayer. And so let's pray, and then we're going to talk about who's your one. Father, again, we recognize that often we fall short, and we seek to find our joy in so many other things, and we're way too easily satisfied. And I pray over the next days and weeks and months that you would grow the capacity of our hearts to find our greatest joy in you, that we would be fully satisfied by you and that we would be disciplined enough to see us grow in that area, that we would be disciplined enough to wake up earlier, to spend time fellowshipping with you, that we would be disciplined enough to, to share the gospel with ourselves, 
to preach the gospel to ourselves on a regular basis and that that would overflow and we would be we would have the boldness to proclaim that joy to others for your glory lord in jesus name amen all right so for the next few minutes i want you before